another episode of the Sunday Puncher Podcast. Now, last week and the week before, we had this very odd situation with Terrence Crawford choosing to fight David Avanesian rather than fighting Errol Spence, where, I mean, up to that point, we'd been led to believe that that was the fight that was going to happen, okay? So we did a couple of podcasts that I think were very informative, big deep dives on this whole thing, looking at why this move was made, whether it's legit, whether you can trust it, etc., etc. That's on our Patreon. You can go to patreon.com uh, slash Puncher. One dollar gets you in. You get access to the podcast. Just if you want a little bit more information. You don't have to. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of like some little housekeeping here. For those of you who are just choosing us or as you're, you know, you you always listen to our podcast, thank you very much. We appreciate that. But this past weekend, we needed it. It has been dry. And I, I there are a lot of reasons why boxing has been dry. A lot of people would try to paint it as something other than what it is. But the sport's been dry. And it's going to continue to be dry, by the way. Until the next year, it will be dry, unfortunately. But this past weekend was pretty fun. We had the Jojo Diaz versus William Zapata fight. We had Jake Paul and Anderson Silva, which I think wound up being perhaps the most entertaining fight of the weekend uh, amongst the main fight cards. Um, and then we had Lomachenko returning against Jermaine Ortiz. So Lex, let me let me toss it over to you. Which one you want to talk about first? Oh, that's such a trick question. I mean, there were, there were there were takeaways from all of them. I, the, the fight, the card I enjoyed the most was the Showtime. That so we could, oh, you want to start there? We could do that. Sure, we could, we could start there. Because I, I have a question about this. If you didn't see it, Jake Paul won a decision against Anderson Silva. And I know some, some of you are purists and you're like, oh, but, you know, this is a YouTuber. Dude, you got to listen up here. There's only one way this is going. Jake Paul is either going to run out of people to knock out that are from the UFC, or he's going to wind up fighting for a fucking title. Okay, that that is the way this is going to go. He's going to wind up fighting for a title. I don't know how. I, we know why, but I don't know how they're going to do it, but you know they're going to do it because the money is there. So, but my question is, at what point does this bubble burst? Because I got to believe, if you look at the NFL's ratings on Amazon, you know, they came out and did a huge number their first week. The numbers look good from the start. But like everything, you know, the numbers tend to go down as you progress, whether it be a season of a TV show, uh, a sport making a, a, a debut. I think this happens to boxing often. You know, you look at the top ranked numbers in ESPN started really high and has gone off and trailed into sort of a plateau of where it's averages for the most part. Uh, PBC on Fox had the same trajectory. NFL has it on Amazon. Well, the Jake Paul thing, at some point, this has got to tail off. And my question to you is, when do you see that coming? I mean, I've said for a while that I think that they're going to run out of opponents. But I think they found their sweet spot with the ex-UFC guys. Like the Anderson, the Anderson, uh, Jesus, what's this guy's name? Anderson Silver. There, there's like compelling, there's a compelling fight to be to happen there. Like this is a legendary guy in the UFC who has like he looked good. I thought like I, did you think he looked good or am I tripping? 
I thought he did some interesting things, but I'm not going to fully say he looked good. I'll say this. He looked pretty competent, but I don't think he looked good enough for me to come out here and say, yeah, he looked good. Um, uh, yeah, here's what I will say. He looked good for being 47. Fair, yeah, fair, fair. And so, like, my whole thing is, like, who's to say if they get Nick or Nate Diaz or whatever, they don't have, like, the same level of, like, the same level of success. Like, a sold-out arena and maybe, like, two to 300,000 sold pay-per-views. I, well, so that's, like, the fight that everybody's talking about. And I don't know a ton about Nate Diaz, but I've seen him fight a couple of times. I think that dude, and see, because this is this is where I'm going. I think that is going to be the peak of this. Jake Paul's whole thing is going to peak. There's, there's. I mean, it was obviously going to peak, and I think it'll be that Nate Diaz fight because after that, I think he's going to knock him out. From what I've seen from Nate, I think the way he fights is uh, is tailor made for for what Jake Paul has developed himself into, and then from there, I think the like what ufc opponents will be available that will be compelling the only one is conor mcgregor and that's it you know and then obviously for boxing he's not i don't think he gets floyd i think floyd is going to understand that that's just going to be a weight too far for him not that floyd would be scared of losing but i don't think floyd wants to even with the logan paul fight he was like there's something about the the physicalness of being in the ring with the guy who's a hundred and whatever pounds, 190 pounds or whatever, that that's a level of strain and effort that he probably does not want to do at this point. And so I don't really see that as a possibility for, for Jake Paul's future. I think, and I mentioned this to you during the Jake Paul card. I like these celebrity matchup fights that are evenly matched. I think they're very exciting to watch. So we, so we got the football dude. Who was it? Le'Veon Bell versus Uriah Hall. Great. Like, wasn't as excited as I thought it would be. But it's these are, like, really compelling fights because these are guys who don't have much experience boxing, but they are world-class athletes. And it kind of brings up this question of, like, what if LeBron James boxed? Or what if, like, like, I don't even know, like Tom Brady box. I mean, I wouldn't think Tom Brady first, but some freakish football player. It's cool. And if I was Jake Paul and his team, I would load the card up with a bunch of fights like that. Like next card, we need Deron Williams back. We need Ultra Cinco back. Bring back Uriah Hall. Bring back Le'Veon Bell. Bring back uh, Clinton, not Clinton Portis. Willis, not, not Willis McGahee. I'm naming all these UN football guys. Who did Deron Williams beat? Shit, I don't even remember. It was the little running back that played for the uh, 49ers. Frank Gore. Bring him back. Oh, Bring back yeah, Frank yeah. Gore. We need more celebrity boxing matchups. They are the best parts of these cards. When like they have real fights on, Ashton Silva, I, I am curious about what his like future will look like, but I don't care if it's with Jake Paul. And the other fight they had with like the I think it was like a Mexican versus Puerto Rican dude. It was just not that appealing to me. Yeah, I <clears throat> I wasn't a big fan of um, most of the undercard. And I thought the Le'Veon Bell fight just completely didn't deliver. I wasn't expecting that. I thought that that fight would definitely be uh, pretty good. But no. Um, to be honest, I don't even remember most of the undercard. That doctor like was terrible. 
Hopefully, we'll never see him again. They, what they need to do is like Nate Robinson versus uh, who's the other guy? Jake Paul knocked out the, the Ben Askren. Do Nate versus Ben Askren. <laughs> we need shit like that. That's like funny. That'll go viral. People will actually be curious to watch that. You shit. Bring back Tyson. Do Tyson versus Tito Ortiz or some crazy shit like that. Like, let's Dude. just go all freakish. <laughs> Why not? Like, uh, I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a little too far. But, I, but my point is that I think <laughs> that the Nate Diaz fight is going to be the pinnacle of this. I don't think Conor McGregor is ever going to fight him. If McGregor ever comes out to fight him, and see, this, this, the sick and twisted shit is like, Conor could come and do a negotiation with Jake and be like, look, I am the A-side in this bitch. I don't care what you've been doing. Pay me, and we could do, get down. That's a nice payday for Conor. Because I don't, is he even active anymore in the UFC? Uh, I don't think he's active, like, but I think, I think no. he's under contract. Oh, that's crazy if he did. The, the UFC contracts are like that, but. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, like, I I've, I think I said it the last time Jake had a card that he'd run out of opponents. Nate is, if it's not Connor, Nate probably is the end of the road. Because I don't have a cool buildup. They'll talk mad shit. It'll be <clears> fun to watch. Oh, the the buildup to Jake Paul Conor McGregor should it ever happen would be legendary. No, I'm talking about Nate Diaz and Jake Paul. I think that's going to be pretty damn good too. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be but, good, but not quite. Um. Okay. So wait, yeah. oh, let me ask you. I, I, this is like a generic question, but I feel like we should talk about it. What do you make of like a lot of boxing pundits and like Suleiman saying like, "Oh, like this is a great representation of boxing." Are you into it or not really? Um, me personally, I don't mind it because I don't take the pessimistic approach that it makes boxing look bad or it's, it's, uh, it kind of insults boxing, you know, or, or the other version of it is like, oh, there's, there's fighters that have worked their whole lives and they're not getting the opportunity that somebody like Jake Paul gets when he's just barely come into the, to, um, the sport. And my response to that is, I I just don't feel that way. I think that it's fine. And I think that, wow, the, it's, not as, it's not as big of a number as we would think. But I do think that on some level, this does help the sport grow. And, I, and how I know this is because after Mayweather-McGregor and Mayweather-Pacquiao, two events that had huge crossover interests with casual sports fans and even like maybe even like non-sports fans the amount of people i saw on reddit and this is like highly anecdotal but the amount of people i saw on reddit come out in the wake of those fights whether it be a, a week after or two weeks after or whatever coming out and saying um i i you know i i started i watched the mayweather mcgregor fight and I was interested in, now I want to watch more. Like, who are the interesting fighters to watch? Or who are the best young fighters? Or some some variation of that. What are the most entertaining fights to watch? And that is the start. Because if you think about it, like, for us as boxing fans, even, like, actually take us out of the equation, but there are so many boxing fans that they watch pretty regularly and yet have no clue what's going on in the sport. Okay. And because knowing what goes goes on in the sport, it, it takes like I don't know. It, it actually takes a lot of work. And for those of you that like are like you know boxing heads, that 
know the sport inside and out. Like, you know, that takes work to do, to be able to know all this stuff. But, um, but I think for the most part, you don't need fans like that. You need fans that are just going to tune in for, for the, the, I don't want to say big fights, but they're going to tune in when there's main events on, on like easily accessible platforms. And I don't see it as any sort of negative because boxing fans, once you convert a boxing fan, this is an important part of it too. I feel like once you convert a boxing fan, it is hard to lose them because boxing is a sport that you really just can't get what you get from boxing in another sport. The NBA is not like this. Baseball is not like this. Football is not like this. Like nothing is going to equal anticipating a fight, being excited about a fight coming on, and then Deontay sleep someone in the first round. That's a feeling that is uh, is hard to duplicate. I you can duplicate like your favorite guy getting the decision announced, and you don't know if they quite got it yet. I feel like that sort of tension you can get in other sports but that first round knockout or or really that out of nowhere knockout is just something you are not able to find in other sports why do you not support it um to answer my own question i think it's fun i think it creates like a fun spectacle to watch as you could tell by my celebrity desire or celebrity boxing desires matchup desires or whatever but i don't like people trying to make it seem like jake paul is like a real fighter like he's not He's not going to fight anyone that has a real chance. He's not going to fight anyone his age. He's not going to fight anyone his size. I I don't have a the beef with him doing what he's doing. It's cool. And he has a fan base, so it works. I, I guess, like, that's the biggest thing I don't get is, like, when people are like, oh, like, the YouTubers are showing boxers how it's done. Create a fan base. And it's like, yo, Obama could come in box tomorrow and, what, like, he's showing boxers how it's done? Like, He's famous. Jake Paul was famous way before boxing. He was very famous, in fact. And so to try to, like, put some correlation between, like, how boxers should brand themselves versus how a YouTuber has branded himself that has chosen to box, it's, like, two completely different things. So Jake Paul, keep doing your thing. Keep making the undercards exciting. I hope you continue to fight guys that are decent at boxing so the fights are fun to watch. But... To me, you're still not really like a boxer. Like you're not like, like I was actually on Boxrec looking at who they have ranked behind Jake Paul, and I thought it's funny they have like real boxers below Jake Paul, and I I don't think that's like legitimate. But I think um, I don't I I don't also I also don't like view this as like real boxing. You know, it's a different form of it. I think it's ultimately going to get there. I I disagree. I think Jake Paul at some point is going to fight someone for real. So listen, right now he's two nineteen on box record cruiserweight. He's okay. ranked ahead of Victor Trush. I feel like I heard him before. A little amateur action. Uh, I mean, he just ranked ahead of all these people. Probably like went to the Olympics and shit. It's just like hilarious to me. Like put him in with uh, let's see, who's the lowest ranked guy that like people will know. Put him in with uh, Efetor or Pochi. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's a very physical. Also, <laughs> uh, that's a physical guy. That's a really hard fight for Jake Paul. Nah, you can't put him in there. That's not, that's not a fair matchup. That's not fair. If this was 2013, you can totally see the WBA uh, 
mandating an interim fight for some random, two random dudes with decent records, but they're not that good in like Venezuela. And then the winner who's like 17-0-2, but really has never fought outside of like their hometown, comes in upgraded as a WBA regular champion. And then he fights Jake Paul and Jake Paul beats him and becomes a world champion. That's 100% what would have happened in 2013. And he would have been a full-on legit champion fighting some dude that no one's ever heard of. And probably there's like zero footage of him ever fighting. But unfortunately, times have changed and like the internet has made it a damn near impossibility to have a dude who's like 17-0 and 0 and you have never seen anything of them. That just don't happen no more. In Boxer Gray right now to like throw out some names. Um, so yeah. But yeah, I guess that's it. I mean, I'm trying to think of other things. Like, I, I mean, we, I don't know. Do you want to talk about Ashton Silva at all? Like, maybe for like a minute or two. I mean, I there's not much to say there. I think this quick knockout. Uh, Braulio Rodriguez has been on the scene for a long time, and a lot of dudes have slept him at this point. So I'm not really like. There's not much to say about. Are that. Are you excited opinion. about Silva at all, or no. not so much? No. Okay. Based off of what, because I've seen him fight before, and what I've seen from what I've seen in the past, I, I think he's got some skills, and I think he's got some nice physical attributes. But I think that there's still a lot of development for him to do. I'm not saying that he, he you know, I'm, I'm not saying he sucks or anything like that. I just think that it's way too early for me. I need to see more. I need to see some development before I'm gonna sit up here and say that oh, this dude looks promising or there's. Uh, Anything other than he's got some tools at this point, but they, you know, they need to get put together uh, before we start getting excited. So, for anyone that doesn't know, Ashton Silva is from like Long Beach, California. Uh, he trains out of like the Jackrabbit Gym, which I'm not too familiar with, but he's got the like, heavy celebrity cosign. Like he kicks it with like Snoop. Uh, he's already cool with Ryan Garcia. Plenty of little like West Coast rappers. I'm not sure if he's like his dad is in the know or, you know, I don't know. I, I assumed he would end up with PBC. The, the Jake Paul connection kind of came out of nowhere, but I guess like from their perspective, it's cool. They can like co-main some cards. I still would have rather them like align themselves with PBC just to like be in the machine. And like, once he gets to whether it's PBC or top rank, he's going to have to go to the back of the line. And I, I don't like seeing fighters that should be in line already having to go backwards if that makes sense but anyway i think one of the things with ashton is that he wanted to be independent and he wanted to like run his own show and that's kind of an issue if you're like like terrence to... crawford a uh, little black, black prime action black planet <laughs> first of all it's not black planet uh and it's not even black prime it's blk there's it, that is, does not stand for black to me it's black planet it, how is it black planet because it's the same Black thing. Pa Black Planet is... No, Black Planet was real. <laughs> and this isn't. <laughs> Black Planet was not some fake-ass website. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, our boy Lomachenko. You know what's funny that I, that I always find really interesting is that whenever we talk about Lomachenko on this podcast, we get two type of responses. Or I, at least I get two type of responses. One is that 
from the Lomachenko haters that I'm like a Lomachenko fanboy. And the other side is from the Lomachenko fanboys who say, oh, I'm on to you. You, you, you're just giving him backhanded compliments. And it's like, look, people, which is it? Do I like him or not? But anyway, all I want to say about I heard this a tweet fight about is this. Lomachenko that, that, did, that did decent. It didn't do like you or Javon numbers, but it did okay. All I'm going to say about Lomachenko is this. I'm not happy with the, the, the scorecards of this fight, but not for the reason you might think. I have no issue with Lomachenko winning the fight. And I, I like if you do, uh, you probably wanted to see him take an L, which I'm not even blaming you. I like if you want to see Lomachenko take an L, I don't, I don't care. Um, part of me wants wanted to see him lose too, but I thought that he did enough to win the fight. But here's the thing that I want to say: what I'm not happy about with those scorecards is that I think Jermaine Ortiz needed to get at least one even card or even he needed to get a card. Not because I thought he won the fight, but you need to be able to look at those cards and and understand the fight that happened. And those scorecards did not tell the tale of that fight. Lomachenko seemingly having trouble with his phys- the physicalness of the fight and with the jab. And Jermaine Ortiz was 100% in that fight, including sweeping uh, like a little a little handful of rounds at one point. Closer scorecards with one of them being in his favor would have been great. Because they, like if I'm Jermaine Ortiz, I know at least in history, I can point to that fight, go to BoxRec and say like, man, I felt I won that fight. Look, one of the judges had me up. And like that doesn't necessarily mean that he won the fight. Because I think if you ask him, he would admit that that was a very close fight or that it was a very tough fight at a minimum. But those scorecards tell none of that story. And be, and that's largely due to the fact that one of those cards was 9-3, to three, which that dude, uh, that dude should probably not be judging no more. But needless to say, um, yeah, my, my, that was my beef with the scorecards. I, I really wasn't happy with that. I didn't think it was a robbery or anything like that, but I just thought it's like, damn, sometimes you, you need the scorecards to just be a little more reflective of the action that took place. But why though? Why are people shocked? Like, I, Oh boy. I think I, I sense conspiracy coming on. It's not even conspiracy. It's just reality. Okay. Like, like Tyson Fury glove gate was also reality, but I, I I accept (laughs) if you want to rub, if you want to like push that in a conspiracy zone. Look, you didn't have Yo, to bring that up, okay? I brought it up. There are I plenty know. of other conspiracies. Doja Cat, Eyes Wide Shut party. You could have went in that I, I, direction. I tried to keep it to boxing. I tried to keep it to boxing. I Yo, mean... Th- yeah, the thing is, listen. We all know who Lomachenko is the top rank. We also all know how top rank treats their guys. Mm-hmm. Like, the guys that are really their guys. Because Ortiz is probably their guy, too. But not like Lomachenko is. So I'm not sure what some people expected, like robbery or tease one. Like, no, no, man. Like, I to be honest, I didn't pay this fight that much attention because y- you kind of knew beforehand that if Ortiz didn't stop him or like win nine three, maybe even ten two, he's not getting the fight. It's not happening, and that's yeah. not conspiracy. Listen, if you think it's conspiracy, let's since Pacquiao. I don't think Top Rank has put more effort in another fighter other than Lomachenko. That is their <laughs> crown jewel guy. 
they're not gonna like let him lose in a fight that's not for like uh not, not Devin Haney right now, basically. Not for all the belts. Why'd they let him lose to Tiafimo? That was if that was the difference. I got between your that ass right is, there. No, 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 no. That <laughs> that was a 50-50. Like they had to let it be 50-50. They couldn't, they they couldn't just rob Tiafimo. They had to let that be 50-50. If you were actually on some conspiracy shit right now, and I'm actually shocked that you didn't say this, you would have said, Oh, they that that was a scheduled loss. He wasn't supposed to win that fight. Why? The thing they... is, that everyone at top rank was sad that he lost. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, but Evan Corrin wanted to cry his eyes out. Well, the Bob calls the shots, and and Bob knows uh, a wounded animal when he sees one. But, with but Steve, I... we don't even know. Like, we, there's so much about that whole scenario that's like the one that got away from top rank was that. Like, maybe they wanted to do a rematch on pay per view maybe they wanted to do it. And there's so many things, but the whole thing went screwy because Teofimo and his pops are crazy. And Teofimo is now like, now look at him. Like, So I, mean, I actually disagree with your whole thing though, because I think that, I don't think that top rank went to the judge, certainly the one that scored at nine, three and uh, offered him some fentanyl or something and told him like, yo, how about you? slant that card towards our boy Lomachenko. I don't I don't think that that's what happened here. I think and this happens a lot in boxing and this is something that I think frequently happens and um nobody usually brings this up, but I think it's at play all the time. And it's that sometimes I think judges they watch a fighter and the fighter's reputation precedes them. And what I mean by that is that a dude like Lomachenko, who has a very particular style of fighting, he's very good at his, his style, and he can fool you into thinking that he's having success because what he's doing resembles what he's done in the past that has worked. And so the judges fall victim to like thinking that Lomachenko doing Lomachenko. When in reality, punches aren't might not be landed or you're not giving credit to the other fighter because this dude looks like he's rolling. And I feel like that's what happened in this fight where Lomachenko, the great Lomachenko comes in and has some struggles. I'm not saying he lost the fight, people. Don't don't get it twisted. Um, but I think Lomachenko had struggles in this fight. and But because he's who he is, the judges weren't necessarily up on game uh, on the fact that this dude was struggling. And I yeah, by the way, I think he won also. I mean, I, I didn't score, like, round by round score it, but just, like, the tempo and tone and the way the fight played out, it felt like Lomachenko won to me. Maybe by, like, maybe by a small margin, but I it did seem like he won. Yeah, so, um, I mean, <laughs> can you imagine, though, the podcast we would be doing if Lomachenko would have lost the fight? Because I do think that if Lomachenko would have lost, his fan base would have made such a stink about robbery that we would have to be addressing the fact that it was a robbery, even though at the end of the day, it was a close competitive fight. Lomachenko's fan base. It's like corny. Loud, I guess. Loud on social media, but not quite as formidable at the box office, by the way. Um, but yeah, so obviously here, here's the other part of like the whole conspiracy thing that you could go to is it's like, oh, it's very clear that they want to have Lomachenko fight Devin Haney next. So why on earth would the judges have given 
Jermaine Ortiz more than two rounds when Lomachenko has this big fight. I'm going to tell you guys right now, I'm 90% confident that this will be a pay-per-view. Devin Haney versus Lomachenko for all the titles at 135. And by the way, I, I love the the pre-firing of the whole Devin Haney's too big to be fighting Lomachenko at 135. But you know, it is it's just a it's a weird take to me because based off of what we saw from Devin Haney on Saturday, he's only taller. He's de- he's still gotta kill himself to get down to 135 and Sometimes that ain't a good thing for a fighter to, to lose. That's cor- it's corny. It's preloaded excuses. No one had any problems when fucking Riggin died to come up from two Dwayne classes below to fight Lomachenko or when Lomachenko beat the shit out of Nakatani, whatever. Like, no one was talking uh, yeah. about hype back then. Fair, fair, fair point. The, the other thing about that, though, is like, I, if anybody wasn't convinced that Haney was going to beat Lomachenko um, beforehand, I mean, this is your wake-up call. Like, Lomachenko is, has not fought a guy like Haney. Rigondeaux don't count because he was too little. Yo, to be honest, I'm not mad at anyone that feels like, like, oh, Dev, Lomachenko will be Devin. But what, where that per, the mistake that person is making is you're not thinking about how they match Lomachenko. And, like, it, it really, watching the fight, it really struck me how, how, like, invested top rank is from keeping Lomachenko from certain styles. Like, they're not going to put him in the ring with no one. First of all, Lomachenko don't really have defense, honestly. Every fight, he'd be getting hit a lot. So, let's keep (laughs) him away from big punches. Okay, cool. Let's keep him away from pressure fighters because I I don't even... He could do all those pivots and turns when dudes are standing right in the middle of the ring, but when someone's coming at you like a bull, what then? Does all that work? Or when someone wants to be rough and, like, physical and, like, throw elbows and wrestle you and grapple you and headlock you. Does all that work? I don't know. And so, I, I, you know, like, if you feel Lomachenko beats Devin, that's cool. But keep in mind that there's a reason why Lomachenko hasn't fought too many athletic boxers. Like, all that shit he does may not be valid anymore. Yeah, sometimes it, it's, I, you know, it could be because the division just doesn't have it. Uh, I think Leo Santa Cruz is a good example of a guy who, for the most part, for almost all of his career, faced a very similar type of fighter. And See, I, don't, could, I don't, I don't, I take a little bit of issue with the division doesn't have it, comment because, but but hold up, who? Because the division didn't have a tank. Where was the but tank it, at one twenty six? There's always going to be guys out there that are good and tough. That's what's amazing about boxing. Yo, there are like probably. Hundreds of people at 135, and I bet a lot of them can fight. And there's dudes we don't even know that could fight. Yeah, but like no one, everyone said, "Oh, Tank was Pitbull Cruz, terrible fight." Pitbull Cruz came through and looked clean against Tank, and now he's like valid. Or or William Zapata. There, no one really knew much about Zapata. I had him beating JoJo Diaz, and now he's like a threat at the at the weight division. Or Roly. People say, "Oh, Roly was trash. Roly was trash." Put Roly versus Lomachenko on. You think you think Lomachenko is just going to 12-0 him or stop him? That's going to be a rough fight for Lomachenko. He might win still, but Roley is big, durable, physical, and you don't see Lomachenko fight dudes like that very often. Well, Roley think, will fuck around and just body slam Lomachenko just to make a point. He's weird like that. No, nah, I think 
Leo Santa Cruz is one example, but there's plenty of examples where they did they they mostly fought the same type of guys. And um I think a large part can be it's like no no no, we know what works for this guy. He's an entertaining fighter. Let's only put him in it with entertaining guys. And um and then they finally run into a different style and it's like, "Oh, okay. I see I see I see why this didn't quite happen when it's you know at at any point before and Lomachenko has fate has not faced certain fighters and you can say well maybe that fighter didn't exist and that's fair Haney's a fighter that has not existed for Lomachenko and and soon to be Shakur who beats both of them in my opinion but I think at this point it's very clear that Haney is going to be a favorite against Lomachenko and if he's not you better you, you know, put a fat stack on now, that. Now, if you want me to get in a conspiracy land, let me put something on wax, okay? Let me put something on wax. We all know how Top Rank likes to promote. It's all based on cloud chasing. Like Teofimo versus Pedraza, the, the, the whole talk will be, will Teofimo knock Pedraza out worse than Tank? Devin Haney has to be very careful in that fight against Teofimo because everyone is already pretty much concluded it's his last fight at 135. Or versus Lomachenko. So if he wins against Lomachenko and vacates all his belts, Top Rank will not have a way to market Shakur Stevenson. They won't. Because him having one belt and PBC having the other, like two or three of the belts, that don't work. So Devin, I think, will be entering that fight down like three or four car, three or four points on each scorecard before round one dings. Because this is what this, I'm telling y'all what Top Rank really wants. Top Rank wants Shakur versus Lomachenko, Shakur to win, Shakur to be undisputed, and then they could unleash the whole Tank versus Shakur debate. We have the guy that's undisputed that beat Lomachenko. What has Tank done? He has the WBA Reggie belt or whatever. That's how Top Rank likes to move. So I don't I'm just, think that they're going to do that because I think Haney's going to go to 140. I think Shakur is probably going to go to 140 a, a lot sooner than people think. Shakur, I think, is uh, he just strikes me as he's got the the power might be a little bit of an issue as he's going up, but I, I guess you can say the same thing about Haney. But um, these dudes are going to quickly outgrow 135. That's that's my opinion. I don't I don't know for sure, but that's kind of how I I see that playing out. But I think um, yeah, I, I think you know the the whole fight was basically framed on this is a tune-up obviously the Haney fight is next for Lomachenko let's see how he does and I think he, he did okay against Jermaine Ortiz and maybe you could say that's ring rust but um I don't know for me it feels like we're at that point where somebody's on the decline but we're still very early and you still give them a lot of benefit of the doubt but in two or three fights, it's going to be very obvious when we look back and we have a little more perspective. We'll say this dude was slipping at this point. Or I could be wrong, and, and this literally was ring rust because he was out in Ukraine for the past several months. And uh, he comes out and beats Devin Haney, which I wouldn't be shocked by either. That shit wasn't ring rust, yo. He just can't. Certain styles, he doesn't look the same against. Yeah. That probably. style just was not complimentary to what he does. Doesn't mean he's bad or inferior. I every think. listen, every fighter, no matter how good they are, bad they are, certain styles are going to make them look not as good. Um, Nothing wrong with that. 
I have a question for you. Talk to me. How'd your boy do uh, on the undercard? Who's my boy? The one who fought Sonny Kanto. Oh, yo, I got to check. I didn't even check. That's a funny comment you just made. Hey, uh, I know what, what happened. I, I'll tell you. Did he get smashed on? Yep. Oh, uh, come on, JD. Second round stoppage. Was it a KO or TKO? I think it was TKO. Okay, I'll it. take that. So the, the thing with so there's a guy that for anyone to listen or for anyone listening, buddy of mine I played basketball with for a long time. He uh went on to play football at the University of Miami, had a cool little career. Uh once he finished, a lot of the UM athletes, they uh they they dabble in boxing because the heavyweight factory is down there. So you're if you're a big you know football or basketball player, give it a try. And so he tried it out, had some decent success, and I guess he got smoked by Sonny Kanto, which doesn't surprise me. He's like thirty eight or thirty nine. It's up there. Thirty six. Oh, okay, a little um, off, but anyway, let's see. Oh, so the fight that I was kind of most looking forward to this weekend was the Jojo Diaz William Zapata fight. I think on paper this promised to be the best fight. I mean, William Zapata thus far has shown that he's an all action fighter. And then um, Jojo has the appearance of being a guy who can box, but he really can't. And <laughs> so I thought that the, overall the fight was very entertaining. William Zapata won pretty clearly. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on this, but uh, you know that there's some things that came out about Jojo's uh, immediate past. Unless you right? talk about that. That kind of stuff is not my specialty. Well, Jojo's got a couple cases. One, he's being sued by his manager for effectively dipping out on them um, and signing with MTK while he still had a like a binding contract with his old manager uh, in which JoJo is attempting to counter sue, saying that they're lying. It, and then his manager, through, and we know this through the legal documents, basically outlined jojo's lifestyle and all the money he owes to various places jojo is essentially a walking stereotype of gets paid spends all his money takes out loans and promises portions of his next purse to fuel his lifestyle it's actually <laughs> kind of sad except for the fact that jojo has another case where um we're dabbling into sex offender territory and so there's like, like sounds like Broner without like getting fights because he's a, a lunatic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so which is sad because Jojo, Jojo's actually like he lives one city over from me, and uh, so you know, literally like a couple miles away from me, and Jojo is known around here, you know, um, amongst people who like boxing, Jojo's known. So it's kind of sad to see the state of Jojo. I mean, like, this is a guy who was should have been a 126-pound fighter, and he was very good at 126, failed there, failed at 130, uh, although I think he did capture a world title there and then lost it immediately on the scale. Then he went to 135 and has just looked soft and not really anywhere close to what he probably should have been 
And in this fight, the weight, I mean, this is like his second fight at 135, and already he's doing catch weights. Uh, I think it was like 138 catch weight. He looked very, very soft. Had a couple of moments in the fight, but overall just looked like a guy who didn't have enough gas in the tank to be able to dig down for 12 rounds against William Zapata, who like himself, after like seven rounds, William Zapata was pushing his punches and was like, he, you could tell that that dude was gassed himself, but he, he kept digging down and Jojo couldn't do anything. And so William Zapata loses. And like you mentioned earlier, now becomes a really interesting guy at 135. Because, and I'll tell you why I think it's so interesting. Because Golden Boy, one of the issues that they've had is their roster has no depth. And what that means is when they're trying to force like cross-promotional fights, it's that or bust. Because if they can't make the fight happen with, say, um, you know, with Virgil Ortiz, if they can't make a fight happen with Terrence Crawford, uh, because Terrence Crawford is signed with BLK Prime, what are their in-house alternatives? They have nothing. And so now, for what, where this becomes important is they have Ryan Garcia. Tank is obviously the, the, the target, but you have no leverage against PBC to make this fight happen. But with the emergence of a William Zapata being like a viable alternative, a fight that can probably generate some money for 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 them. This becomes leverage that they need, and it starts to build out depth in their roster, which has been really poor and underreported for the past few years. But this is definitely a step in the right direction for them. I mean, I agree. Um, you know what? I would like to give Golden Boy credit for real quick is like the fact that they even make this fight because oh, these are two I, guys that yeah, they could... yeah yeah go on. These are two guys that they don't necessarily have to match. Like you said, JoJo is like a pretty popular fighter in his in his area of the world or America or California, however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. And Zapata is pretty unknown, but they, you know, they for for the quality of just like good matchmaking or for the sake of good matchmaking, they made the fight. And, so I and have like theories on this. I was uh, okay, thinking I'm, about I'm, this last week. I like conspiracies. Obviously. It's not a conspiracy. I don't I don't do conspiracy. If I don't think that there's like a lot of info behind what I'm saying, I'm not gonna say it. Uh I, I don't speak so fast and loose with the truth like you do. But I was thinking about the exact same thing because I totally agree with you. And like in theory, I think I still do agree. Like it didn't make any sense to make this fight. But I have a couple of theories. I think you're gonna like them. Let's go. Number one, this fight made perfect sense because Golden Boy is fucking tired of Jojo Diaz unreliable keeps getting in trouble dragged golden boy into a lawsuit maybe they're just tired of him and said look we aren't going to get any any more juice out of you you're 32 years old you're unreliable can't make weight can't stay out of can't stay out of the courtroom can't stop sending dick pics to people so you know what we're going to do williams the is 26 years old let's just cash him out I mean, you think about it. JoJo was one, one, and one in his last three fights coming in. This was your basically their chance to say, like, look, if you got it, still you'll win this fight. But if not, we're going with we're going to rise a peta. That's number Makes one. Makes perfect sense. Number two, and maybe this one is not true, or maybe they work hand in hand. 
Um, <clears throat> by the way, I'm just thinking about it. I would love to see JoJo versus Miguel Burchelt at 135. That would be fire. Anyway, um, the zone, like an underreported story this year is how much Golden Boy has had their back against the wall with the zone. If you remember, their deal expired. We went a long period of time with no information on what their deal was going to be, if they were even going to have a deal. And then we get news that it was extended. It's for a lot less money than what they previously had for with the zone. And then over the course of the last year, like, do you know how many cards they've actually put on? Let's mm -hmm. take away international fights and let's take away the women's headline cards, which I think is only one. We're looking at like less than five. So they clearly don't have a lot of dates. Now let's look at their, their main events. Outside of the Virgil Ortiz versus McKinson fight, they've actually put on really good shows. And their main events have been at a minimum, for, for hardcore fans at least, names you recognize fighting names you recognize, which is always good. Now, their names you recognize on a much smaller scale. We're not talking about like essentially a Miguel Burchelt versus a Jojo or Miguel Burchelt versus a Jorge Linares, which would also be an amazing fight. We're not talking about that, but Alexis Rocha versus Blair Cobbs is 100% a fight or a headline that one, you don't have to do that fight. You know, you don't have to do Jojo versus Zapata. These are really good cards or headlines in my opinion, but they, potentially cannibalize the roster they're making in-house fights a little sooner than i think that they probably wanted to but i think at this point with their deal they have so few dates there's very little of the budget that they're actually getting to work with at this point that they have to do these fights in order to get these cards approved and so the benefit goes to us because they're doing a really good job with these cards but like at the same time it is coming at a cost. You know, JoJo's now effectively done, although he kind of did it to himself. Actually, I was wrong about JoJo's age. He's 29, not 32. Um, but, which is also crazy. They're cashing out a 29-year-old. He, he, the dude's not even 30 yet. You still got some time. I mean, if you look at the lightweight division, like, that dude's only two years older than Tank. And they're already basically done with him. Uh, you know who? Burchelt is only 30. But that dude got mad miles on him at this point. But anyway, yes. um, Jezreel Corrales, 31 years old. Just, just to throw some other names out there. So anyway, my point is that um, between those two reasons, I think that there was a lot of incentive. Actually, I don't even know if incentive is the right word there. There was a lot of like factors pulling for them to make a fight that maybe they didn't have to, to do. Maybe Zapata didn't have to fight a JoJo quite yet. But anyway, that that's a little bit about my theories. But anyway, what do you think they're going to do next with JoJo? Or not JoJo, who gives a fuck about William Zapata? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it depends on Ryan. You know, if Ryan stayed at 135, I think that'd be a great fight. But I just, I don't know if he's going to stay at 135. I don't know if the tank thing is next. It's kind of... um Golden Boy's in a, a weird spot, man, because like you said, they don't have much depth. So, like, what you get in turn is, like, Mungia versus some guy no one wants to see. I uh, Actually, I take back what I said because you brought up Mungia and, like, that 
kind of throws everything that I said against the wall. So I just want to acknowledge that, that Mungia doesn't count. Okay, but you still got Virgil Ortiz, which will probably be in a fight like against no one, essentially. So I, I don't know. I mean, and it's like you can't even like stack. The, like the way we got Pipple Cruz on the Ruiz area, uh, Ortiz undercard, Golden Boy doesn't have enough depth to even do that. Like, I don't know what the hell. Who does he fight next? Maybe uh, maybe Jorge Linares? I don't think Linares wants to fight anymore. Um, and Zapata's just all wrong for Linares. Yeah, it's like, it's a horrible matchup. I'm just like, that's like the first name I could think of. Someone who's just like free and golden works with Golden Boy and stuff. So he's number 13 in the WBC right now. I anticipate with this win, he should jump. I think above Jermaine Ortiz, which puts him around actually and Jojo was six. So I think he's going to wind up somewhere in the top five in the WBC. And that puts him close to like a Zaur Abdulayev and Yvonne Mendy. I think those are two fights that they probably don't make. Um, and then the top three is Lomachenko, who's just going to fight Haney, Isaac Cruz, Cambosos, and Shakur Stevenson. Maybe so, Combosos. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where you go with him. Like, how do you keep this dude busy? Uh, Golden Boy got some some issues they got to face. I mean, you could ask that about a lot of their fighters. Like, how do you keep I'm, this dude busy? If I'm Golden Boy, I do not want this guy fighting Ryan and and potentially derailing what could be a pay per view. A guy who could headline pay per views. If realistically, if Ryan's not fighting Tank, he'll be a one forty. I'm pretty sure. I think that's fair. But I really enjoyed how you and Eco broke down Ryan's tweets to Golden Boy in the zone. And I agreed 100% with you guys. Should we do that? Should we go through Ryan's tweets? He had some interesting tweets last week, I think. Maybe quickly. Uh, like, why don't you do that real quick? I think it's, like, worth talking about. Uh, okay. So last week... Because, like, it, I don't know if you saw, but... um. One of the one of the uh, Latin reporters that I actually like on boxing Twitter, he said it's looking good for uh, Tank Ryan. I think but maybe Barbosa box. He's okay. He's not like he's not top, but he's decent. No, I don't like him, but um, he, got, <laughs> he got info, so I like his info. Um, so Ryan Garcia had a, like a four tweet thread, which uh, it was as follows: one. I want to fight Tank, and Tank wants to fight me. This fight is what boxing needs right now. I accepted all the terms on my side and instructed my team to get it done exactly as offered. The fans deserve this fight. Our sport needs this fight. Two, we got to get this BS figured out. This should have been the best couple of months in boxing. Spence Crawford fell apart. Me and Tank running into issues. That's not what boxing is supposed to be about. Respectfully, celebrity boxing should not be defining our sport. Three, Everyone talks about player empowerment in the NBA and other sports leagues. It's time to have a real conversation about player empowerment in pro boxing. Four, I want this fight for my career and real talk my mental health. The guys in charge can make this happen. Don't let this break down. I'm asking on behalf of everyone who loves the most beautiful sport in the world. Okay, here's how I read this. I really love those tweets, man. Like if you unpack it, he's saying a lot. Yes, he's saying a lot. Um, but... I think there's a specific reason why these tweets are worded the way they are. So one, 
I want to fight Tank, and Tank needs wants to fight me. That that is self-explanatory. Um, I think both sides have talked probably privately. Well, the two fighters have talked privately as well as their teams have talked. And I think because you have to remember that in a fight negotiation, there there are different players that, that are involved. There's the fighters, there's their managers and advisors, and then there's the promoters, and then there's the networks. Everyone is vying for for their own self interest in order to serve the the ultimate goal, but the way in which they want to execute is does not always align. And in this case, what we're seeing is that where things are not aligned is that Ryan's side wants their network involved. And I think that they, they're, I mean, they would be dumb to just allow this to go, you know, at least put up some fight, but that is what the holdup is. And so Ryan says, I accepted all the terms on my side and instructed my team to get it done exactly as offered. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that clearly he was offered a deal from Showtime and his side is rejecting the fight or telling him they're going to reject it or, or some variation of that because it is not what they want. And he's telling them, screw you guys, just do this. The fans deserve this fight. Our sport needs this fight. That is his way of putting pressure on them. And he's trying to get the fans on his side because rightfully so. I don't know if we deserve the fight, actually. I deserve is a word that I don't, I don't know. Like, do we deserve it? I don't know. Did, did all of you guys, you know, eat your vegetables and stuff like that? I don't know, you know. But do we deserve the fight? I don't know. Do we want to see the fight? Hell yeah. So two, we got to get this BS figured out. This should have been the best couple of months in boxing. Spence Crawford fell apart. Me and Tank running into issues. That's not what boxing is supposed to be about. Respectfully, celebrity boxing should not be about defining or should not be defining our sport. The one thing that sticks out to me about this tweet is when he puts respectfully, celebrity boxing should not be defining our sport. That's very interesting wording. That does not feel like something he would say. So I imagine somebody told him like, yo, you know, your friends with like Jake Paul and stuff like that. Make sure you don't like take a shot that you don't need to be taking here. Three, everyone talks about player empowerment in the NBA and other sports leagues. It's time to have a real conversation about player empowerment and pro boxing. Now, this is the most interesting tweet. The other two tweets, I don't care about. I guess him saying that, you know, accept the, the deal as it was offered is pretty important. But this is really in interesting here. Do you know what player empowerment in the NBA, what he means by that? What he means by that is there's a trend in the NBA where players can seemingly control their destiny. In every other sport, you are essentially at the whim of your the team. And the team controls your destiny at all times. You get drafted, you have no choice. Whichever team was bad enough to be in a position to pick you, they pick you. Okay? And so in the NBA, as players get into these situations that they no longer want to be in, there's been a movement where they have been able to force their way. Actually, that's terrible to put it because is it forcing? I don't know. They're, but they've been able to find a way to get out of these situations and into situations that work for them. It's time to have a real conversation about player empowerment and pro boxing. This is a threat. He is saying, essentially, let's have a conversation about me not be tied down to this contract. If I want to make this fight happen, I should be able to do it. Now, how does he do that? I want this fight for my career and real talk, my mental health. 
The guys in charge can make this happen. Don't let this break down. What he's saying is like, I may have to sit out. I may have to force you guys to let me do this. And he doesn't want to do that, obviously, but he's throwing a shot here. Like, I want this fight to happen. And you guys are doing all this stuff, preventing it from happening. So that's how I read this whole thing. Ryan is 100% serious about this fight. Obviously, Tank's serious about this fight, as he stated. But also the fact that Tank's team sent an offer over that Ryan wants to accept. That's how I read all this. So, like I've been saying uh, before, I'm pretty confident that these two dudes will be fighting next. And 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 I just like to throw in quickly accurate read. I agree on everything, especially the player empowerment thing, which for someone in Ryan's position, I think it matters a lot. If you're like a PBC guy, I think you're already empowered pretty much. And I think if you're top rank guy, you're taken care of pretty well. So maybe it depends on where you're at, like how much does it matter. But for someone in Ryan's shoes, it matters a lot. Well, yeah. And there's a whole element of this of like, well, why would they stop the fight? I mean, there's this whole thing. But essentially what it boils down to is that Showtime is offering to pay DAZN money to basically have them accept not being a part of the fight, which I think is a pretty fair deal. You don't have to do any broadcasting. You don't have to do any of the, you don't have to incur any of the production costs and you're still going to get a check. Um, effectively, Showtime's offering to zone a step aside deal so that they don't get, they don't have to be involved in the fight. And Ryan, you know, and everyone essentially gets what they want there, but um, they're, they're obviously not going for it. But Ryan, for anyone that says, for anyone that says Ryan versus Tank should be a joint pay per view, why do you disagree? Why do I disagree that it should be a joint pay per view? Because Mm -hmm. the zone brings nothing to the table. What does that mean? They have no way to promote the card. I don't think people realize that the reason why the zone is not because, and I've talked about this a lot, especially on the Patreon podcast. The zone came into our market in the U.S. with literally the greatest sales pitch that you could possibly have in boxing. Lots of fights, premium pay-per-view level cards for one low price of $9.99 a month or $99 for the year. If that were true, that would be amazing. But very quickly, my like business brain kicked in and was like, well, actually, this is probably unrealistic because for $9.99 a month, you are not going to be able to cover pay-per-view costs. I mean, shit, you can't even cover late-stage HBO with that like $25 million budget. You're not even going to cover all them fights charging us $9.99 because boxing is not that big. The, you're going to cap out at what, 1 million subscribers? That's like the limit of like how many you can grab in the U.S. This is not a viable business proposition. Now, the other part of why they failed is because what works about a streaming service and really for anything, um, you need huge, like uh, an ability to market to a huge amount of people, which is why the NFL commands such a, like they're to buy 30 second ads for the NFL is way more expensive than anything else. The same thing goes for award shows. Why is that? because they have an audience that you can pay to reach. And 
where a Showtime and an ESPN benefit is that they have, you know, millions of subscribers uh, for their service, whether it be ESPN on basic cable, having like 70 million people at their disposal or Showtime with, you know, 30, 40 million people at their disposal where they can market to you. And then where it also helps is that in Showtime's case or Fox's case, they were willing to go across all their platforms. So you have a hundred million people who have access to Fox. And so by taking your pay-per-views and marketing them to on Fox during the NFL and all this stuff, you wind up growing and you're able to reach people that you're not able to reach. The zone has none of that. You don't have a channel that you can run commercials on. Every commercial has to come out of pocket. It doesn't come out of pocket if that's your channel. And it's why in the, in, I think it was Italy, maybe it might've been Germany. They essentially realized that we have to start a cable channel because we need to get access to the cable subscriber in order to grow the streaming, uh, platform. It's how, um, CBS and all these companies out here, that's how, how they work. And so the, if you're showtime, anything that they can bring to the table, you can not only match it, but exceed it because you have a, a CBS because you have the Paramount network or BET or fucking Nickelodeon. I don't know. You have all these channels at your disposal that they don't. So that's why they don't bring anything to the table. That's all this comes down to is marketing because boxing fans, you don't have to do anything to reach them. You are going to know it's about getting casual sports fans to drop that pay-per-view money. That's what is at stake here. And Showtime knows this. Everyone knows this. That's why this is not a joint pay-per-view. And I know what you were fishing for. You were fishing for me to say this is not that big of a fight. I'm not going to say that. I thought I was muted. My bad. My bad. My bad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I just said that that that's why I thought you were going to say that or I thought you were expecting me to say because this fight is not that big. Oh, no, <laughs> I was just, you know, letting you rock. So, yeah, I think the fight is definitely I mean, if this was Showtime and ESPN, I, I don't know. I don't even think this fight would be that big. For, for a joint pay-per-view for them, but I could see it, but I don't think anybody's going to do a joint pay-per-view with DAZN because they just don't offer the same thing that yeah, an ESPN I, I would. Just had to, I had to bring that up because you, you have people who will ask the question why it's not joint pay-per-view, and I'm not sure if they fully understand the business enough to be, even be asking the question. Because, like, I think DAZN feels that they've, like, built Ryan into what he is, and it's, like, very naive for them to like take that stance as their reasoning for trying to get like insider intelligence into building a pay-per-view. Like Ryan would have been lit. would be more lit without them for real. Well, um, look, Showtime invested a lot of money into Deontay Wilder. There's no question about that. And they lost him. The, the, the biggest fight of the trilogy with Tyson Fury took place after they uh, they paid Deontay a lot of money for that Brazil fight. That's just the business, you know? So, like, you can't come out here and act like you're entitled to anything, that like you deserve something. Because, you know, as I said, 
No one deserves anything. That's just made up. And that's just how naive the DAZN guys are. They think like Espinosa is just going to roll out the red carpet for him. Like those guys have been super uncooperative until this became a reality. And now it's just like, yeah, we have Ryan under contract, which is a lie. I mean, yeah, that's fair. They did come out and say that he was under contract, and we've now learned that that is not true and all this stuff. Fair. Uh, but I think, like, you don't even have to go there. It's just, like, just look at the, the numbers. Just look at the um, the capabilities of the two platforms, and it's very clear that one, like, one does not need the other as much as the other needs. Uh, I, It's tricky to say it like that, but, like, one clearly needs the other more than the other does. So... Yeah. Anyway, I we I've talked so much about BLK Prime. I really have. I've done like probably the last week since it was announced. Probably done about three hours of podcasts, maybe more on it. So definitely go to the Patreon and check out those podcasts. So I had Deuce on, and we just kind of like laid out what I mean, what we think it is, how we think that they've got this money. Um. I mean, like, I, I've done some of my own reporting this. I literally uh, emailed, I guess it's like, the, because they, they had this, um, they had this address listed, and it kept coming up. And I Google, I Googled it, so I'm like, oh, I wonder where this is. I never heard of, it's in California. I'm from California, so obviously I had to check it out. And I Google it, and bro, it's a goddamn subway. Wow. Then look, <laughs> if you're going to come out here and say you're going to pay Terrence Crawford $10 million and Adrian Broner's going to get $10 million too, and you, you sign people to multi-fi deals and all this stuff, that's cool. I got no issue with that. I, I, you know, I, I definitely am very skeptical of it, but I do think that there's a lot of humor in this. So I'm not, I'm not even mad at this, right? But when I go and I... Google something expecting to see some level of professionalism and I see a $5 foot long sign, my little bullshit detector is going to have to go off. And so I, I but I, I'm look, I, I, I don't, it would be irresponsible of me to say like, yeah, that's that, that's, you know, it's obviously some bullshit and stuff like that. So I, because I don't know, I was like, maybe that's not what it is. Maybe like the sweet numbers are mixed up on Google Maps. So I emailed the de the developer or whatever it was. Like, uh, do you have a suite 357 here? Or whatever suite it was, I don't know what it is. Hopefully he gets back to me so we can get to the bottom of this, but he's not responded in the last two days. So that's where we're at with this. I'm trying to do my own reporting. I, I Apparently people that or in the know have said, yeah, there's definitely real money behind this. And like, I mean, maybe there is, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Subway's actually involved in this. I don't know, but none of this looks bad. Errol or Terrence Crawford still hasn't tweeted and acknowledged this, which to me, I read that as like, they have not, um, they have not done something that convinces Terrence Crawford that this is happening. That's how I read this. That this is for real going to happen. Because Terrence Crawford has been very active on Twitter. And all of a sudden, he's gone quiet. This ain't adding up. Oh, Terrence. You, you're, 
your desire to be a PVC fighter, but not a PVC fighter has led you to fight on an app that does not exist. Good job, buddy. Uh, yeah. Um, this weekend we got Dimitri Bivol versus Zerto Ramirez. There's also a, a lower weight class card that's going to be happening tonight, which I'm going to just gonna acknowledge is happening. But I mean, there's really no point because we ain't going to be able to, it will have happened by the time you hear this. But, um, yeah, I see a lot of people out here thinking Zerto is going to beat Bivol. How do you feel? Don't, wait, don't forget there's David Morrell this Saturday also. Man, we going in order. Oh, my bad, player. This one ha happening in the daytime. My bad. I just want to ask you, do you with these people that think that Zerto's somehow, like, going to be out here and, and conquer the man who conquered Canelo? I don't know, man. Bivol's been pretty consistent in all his time at 75, so I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked, but not, like, super shocked if Zerto pulled it off. I, I don't know. The last few fights, like, Zerto definitely looks a lot stronger. He looks a lot faster since he's, or I guess faster is probably not the, maybe he doesn't look a lot faster. But he definitely looks stronger at 175 than he ever did um, at 168. But, like, you look at the guys he's beaten and, quote-unquote, looked good against, you know, Sullivan Barrera, Unieski Gonzalez, and Dominic Basil. That don't inspire a lot of confidence in me. I'm just saying. That dude struggled with Jesse Hart. I'm just saying. Uh, I mean, it's like he just has such a boring style. He's so not like like dynamic. He's a good fighter, but he doesn't inspire like like much like what if thinking. Like we all know how he's gonna show up and how he's gonna be. Um yeah, I don't know. I think I like I said, I'll stick with him, but that gives Zerto a slight shot. Let's go 70-30. That's fair. I, I just think that Bivol is like... Zerto's defense has not been great um, recently. And if he's going to leave himself open while he's coming in to attack Bivol, I think Bivol's just going to be able to give him a little one or two and then be out of range. I just hope that this does not turn back into the super boring Bivol. Like, I'm a 11-1-U... And no one's gonna be happy that they watch this fight type of there's style. a good there's a good chance it will. Let's get ahead of the bullet. <laughs> or whatever you say. I, I guess it's pr probably a, a good like um a good habit to get into to like lower expectations when Dimitri Bivol's gonna enter the ring. But I do I I do think he's gonna beat uh Zerto. Um and then that evening we will have David Morrell versus uh Idos, and then we're just not even gonna try to say your boss Anuli or something like that. Yeah, your boss, <laughs> your huh. boss Anuli. Um, your boss Anuli, common opponent with David Morrell. He did fight Lennox Allen. Um, David Morrell was not. He's the one guy that Morrell was not able to stop. Uh, but your boss Anuli, that's really the only significant win on his resume and David Morrell very similarly Lennox Allen probably the most accomplished guy he's beaten thus far uh, maybe accomplished guys not even the right way to put it but it's probably his toughest opponent to date 
So I don't know. They these guys may be on like very similar ground in terms of like how they match up. Uh, one thing though is Jabas Nuli much older. He's thirty years old. Morel is twenty four. So, uh, and then there's also word that these Morel is already locked in to fight Benavidez next year, which could depending on how you feel about these types of things, could definitely complicate. Saturday night in in the sense that like Morel could find himself in a trap fight with uh Eidos. Definitely it's definitely gonna be a good fight. Um good test for Morel. Pretty pr- probably exactly what he needs. And also there's allegedly paperwork and this comes from Santa. So if David wins, I guess he's in line to fight David Benavidez after the Uz Kadagi fight. Yeah. So I mean, he might have a little extra motivation and get this W. Yeah. Well, I mean, if Morel impresses here, it's just like gonna add to the to the legend of this like prospect. It's really hard to place him because he's like progressing a little too fast, but at the same time, not fast enough. Uh, and, and the fact that 168 is really top heavy kind of puts Morel in this weird situation where like these fights don't necessarily put him in the same position as the top guys, maybe in terms of what he's done in the ring. But like, I, I think his, his popularity is not, um, it's not on pace. I, I, yeah, I guess on pace is the right way to say it. It's not on pace with the, the, the opposition he's fighting. And so he, he's got to do something to like break out a bit. I think here, if he's going to like, not just fight Benavides, but like also, bring himself in on equal ground or close to it because then that fight becomes a lot more interesting. It becomes a lot bigger of a fight. So yeah, those are the fights this weekend. Um, and we're going to wrap it up Miss, right there. I was going to say real quick, missing out on, uh, on, who is this? Uh, ah, the 160, the Cuban kid. Uh, uh, Yo, Elvis Gomez no, dropped out. Not happening. Yeah. That's unfortunate, but the makeup fight is good. Uh, yeah, Jason Rosario versus Brian Mendoza. I think uh, there, there's really no way that this fight doesn't end in a knockout, in my opinion. I just you, you look at these two guys. Like Jason Rosario is, is like got one foot out the door boxing. This is going to be really. Uh, this is basically going to answer a lot of questions about whether where this dude is at in like his arc. He's fought three times since Erickson Lubin knocked him out. And they were all in the Dominican Republic, all against, um, you know, regional level opposition. So, like, I don't know, man. Rosario, former unified super welterweight champion. That dude's got work to do here uh, if he wants to crawl his way back in. And Brian Mendoza is a decent challenge. He's not that big of a puncher. Um, He's somewhat of a competent boxer so rosario is going to have to actually work for it but yeah um i think this at a minimum is going to be entertaining well we got some good action this uh you know keep us appetized until we get some bigger announcements all right well we'll wrap it up there head over to the patreon you get access to our chat which uh is always a place where if you want to learn things before it hits like i don't know reddit or stuff like that go over there um chat about boxing of course 
And then also you get access to the podcast, the additional podcast, which, I mean, definitely go back, listen to those BLK Prime ones where you learn a lot more about what the hell this thing even is. Uh, I'm not going to give you guys any hints on it, but um, doesn't look legit. That's, that's all I'll say. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this, and we'll be back next week.